Hey, my friends, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so, so much for being here and taking the time to check out this episode of Real Life Talk. Really means the world to me that you're here. Let me just say right off the bat here, I am dealing with a AC issue that's been going on for entirely too long. It's 100 degrees out today, and it's really hot in this room where I am, so I don't know how long I'm going to last <laughs> in this episode, but I'm trying to push through and uh and uh and and get out <laughs> an episode for this week uh and i have a couple things that i wanted to address here i was actually i was on vacation this past week and a couple of things came across my my news feed that i started to look into and i have some thoughts and opinions and some stuff like that and so i've got two kind of things two kind of big pieces of of news in the christian world from this past week that I think are uh, very culturally relevant and, and relevant to where we are as a, as a society and relevant to where we are in, in the church of Jesus Christ today. And so I wanted to kind of bring these up. They're not at all related. So I'm going to start with one and then, um, and then we'll go into the next one. If there's time, if not, I'll put out another episode a little bit later. Like if I pass out or something from this heat, Ugh, it's ridiculous. But anyway, um, it's hot in Texas. But I was on vacation this past week and a couple couple of these things happened and I was like, man, I really actually wish that I was in town and I had recording stuff and that I could actually talk on these things. So I'm a little bit behind the eight ball because these things have happened. So this first thing that I want to talk about, um, and I believe this happened, it was two Fridays ago, so about you know nine, ten days ago or something like that. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this because it wasn't like a big piece of, of news media, but... The first AI-powered church service, at least that I'm aware of, happened. And it took place in Germany, and it was at a kind of a, a bi-annually convention that this particular church is a part of. And there were about 300 attendees, from what I read in the article, um, in this church service. And supposedly the entire church service was powered by AI. Now, what that means for us today thankfully is that there still had to be a human mind behind all of that in terms of programming uh, what was actually going to be uh the the topic in other words of of what was going to be happening so there had to be a human component involved a human kind of at the beginning of the process saying i want you to create a sermon that's based around this topic and kind of deciding the order of the service. I believe there was, I heard that there was worship, there was prayer, and there was about a 40-minute sermon. Now, the 40-minute sermon was done on screen. It was a, I don't, I don't know if it was a recording or if it was live. I actually forget. I know I read that, but I but I forget. But a few different avatars, which were completely AI generated, that um, brought forth a message that apparently didn't have any kind of a human touch to it. And so th this is something that's going on right now in a lot of areas of society where AI is being used. It's being used a lot in the art world. It's being used a lot. Like a lot of people are creating, are using AI to create websites, um, using AI to create articles, using AI to do all kinds of different things. And there's a particular software that's really, really popular right now. And it's still kind of in its development phases and stuff like that. But uh, you may have heard about this um, on other podcasts or whatever, but uh, ChatGPT 
is this kind of AI uh, powered software and, and what you can do. I personally have not played around with it because um, AI kind of creeps me out a little bit. <laughs> so I haven't messed around with it. So I don't have personal experience with it. But um, from what I understand is that um, you can go on the website or on the app and you can uh, basically you give it a prompt you give it some kind of a command and you might you might tell it to do something like write for me an article about the war of 1812 that's kind of a simple thing to do uh, because that's something that happened already but you can actually do something that's a little bit more tell it um write for me a short story about and you can just invent something you can you can build something up you can also tell it to create for you a piece of art of a you know a chicken riding a pony or something like that if you wanted to you, you can tell it what to do you put in these prompts and you can be vague you can be specific and you put in these prompts and then you know it takes i don't know maybe 10 seconds 20 30 seconds or something and this ai generates a completed product or project and so i think what's happening in the art world is that people are now selling art that's been generated by ai so all they did was put in the prompt and then they can kind of pass this thing off as art that they created even though it was created by artificial intelligence uh, people are doing that with articles people are using it to create websites one of the big things now that that people are are really starting to get some traction with is that they're using AI to become their personal assistants and things of that nature. And the thing about artificial intelligence is the idea behind artificial intelligence is that it's actual intelligence. It's not just something that's been programmed to do something a certain way, but it's actually designed to learn. It's machine learning. So it's designed to learn. It's designed to kind of um, grow with you as you give it more prompts and it gets to know you and your personality and things of that nature. Now, we all see this in different areas of life, right? Like we we, we all see this in, in some way, shape or form. This has been going on for a long time. You see it with Siri or with, you know, Hello Google or Hey Google or whatever that thing is. You know, you see it with these different, um, um, what do they call it? These kind of personal assistant apps that we've, you know, had access to for a very, you know, for several years now, anyway, or, you know, a decade or more that we've had access to these things and they've become kind of part of our life, you know, and you can ask, uh, you can talk to Siri, right? And I, I don't use Apple products. so I've never really done a whole lot with, with Siri personally, but you can talk to Siri and Siri kind of gets to know who you are and Siri starts to learn about your travel route to and from work and things of that nature. And so there's times where you can kind of you can it can be a certain time of the day and you're getting in your car and now it's like Siri already knows that you're going to work. And so there's certain things. It's a convenience thing like all this stuff is done for convenience and we are, you know, it's like these machines that we've surrounded ourselves with are gradually learning more and more about us, more and more about our routines and our habits and things like that, ultimately to try to make our lives easier. Amazon Alexa and other products similar to that that you have in your house that you can talk to and things like this, right, that are part of our normal life even things like your you know browser history the way that you search for things 
the way that we all like I can mention some things right now, like I can talk about Carnival Cruises or I can talk about I'm wearing a shirt from Under Armour. And maybe later on today, you're going to be scrolling through your Facebook feed and you're going to be hit with an ad <laughs> from Carnival or for whatever it might be. Right. Because it was mentioned on a podcast that you listen to. Or I mean, it, there's been some really creepy ones. You've probably experienced this. This, too. I've definitely experienced this where like we're just having a conversation about something. And then a few minutes later, I start scrolling through Facebook and it's popping up in my Facebook feed, I didn't actually type it in anywhere and search for it, it just kind of showed up. And so we're kind of surrounded by machines that are learning our behavior. The idea that now is coming more and more um, prevalent in our lives, you know, we're, we're even kind of in, 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 a, in a bubble in a sense, in terms of the AI, uh, stuff that's going on right now. When I say bubble, I mean, like there's been, I mean, there's, you know, stock prices and things are up because there's kind of a, a boom going on with AI right now. Uh, you know, the same thing happened, I guess it was last year, or maybe it was the, may, I don't know if remember if it started in 22 or if it started in 21 and went into 22, but with, uh, all the metaverse stuff, right? So with like the metaverse was Facebook changed its name to meta. And, and there was like a whole lot of talk about the metaverse and there was a lot of stuff going on with the metaverse and there's still a lot of stuff going on with the metaverse, but it's not nearly, uh, as much, you know, I, I haven't heard the term metaverse in conversation in probably months. And there was a time where it was coming up, at least in my world, in my conversations, several times, probably a week. There was just, it was just a lot, it was just very, a lot going on. And so, you know, cryptocurrencies were getting involved in the, or, or cryptocurrencies that were connected to the metaverse world were expanding and growing. People were making money and then losing money and all this kind of stuff was going on. That was a, a bubble. And I think in some ways we might be in kind of a, a, I don't think it's a huge bubble, but kind of a, a little bit of an AI bubble right now where a lot of people are talking about AI. A lot of people are investing in AI. There's a lot of projects coming out, a lot of startups, a lot of you know companies, and just there's a lot going on in this world with AI. And it's going to get more and more refined and it's going to become infused more and more into our daily lives. And so it was only a matter of time <laughs> before uh, the, there was an AI church service. And so there was an AI church service that took place in Germany. So I can't remember the name of the town. It starts with an F. Um, anyway, a, that, that took place in Germany. Uh, just, you know, about nine or 10 days ago at the time of this podcast. And I am curious to know what your thoughts are on this. And so here's the idea. The idea is that there was a human mind that had to use this software and that had to type in some prompts. I'm not sure how they did it or what they told it to do or whatever, but that started the process of saying um, you're going to create a sermon about this this is the topic this is the theme this is the subject or whatever and then machines take that and they then you know they run with it and it's like almost instantaneous and it creates a finished polished sermon now uh, from what i've heard there were mixed reviews some people liked it some people didn't some people were impressed some people were underwhelmed the one thing that people seem to be underwhelmed about from what I read in the, the few articles that I looked at 
was not so much the content of the message. And I don't even know what the message was about. I didn't listen to it, uh, the, the actual message. But they were more so underwhelmed by the actual delivery because it was coming from these machines that were being monotonous from uh, some of the reports that I read. And so that's something else that's going to change as well as AI learns how to become more and more human-like. And this kind of brings me back to a podcast episode that I did. I think it was roughly about a year ago. Um, a gentleman by the man, uh, by the man, by the name, uh, his uh, Dr. Joshua K. Smith was on the podcast, and um, he's done some uh, some extensive research and he's written some books on the subject of robot theology. And I just thought that was amazing. And so uh, Dr. Uh, Joshua came on the podcast. We talked about robot theology. We talked about robot ethics. And we talked about there, there's this thing about us like creating robots, creating technology, creating things, artificial things, if you want to call them beings or whatever you want. But there's this direction that we're going uh, that really is very sci-fi. If you think back to, you know, 30, 40 years ago, some movies that came out talking about the 2000s, for example, and these, um, you know, the, the, the idea of, of, of robots becoming part of our life and our world and, and things that can think for us and talk for us and, and do things for us, you know, bring us coffee, get the mail, you know, like this kind of stuff is like the stuff that we saw in the Jetsons when I, when I was a kid, if anybody remembers that uh, cartoon, the Jetsons, it's like this, this kind of stuff that we've been looking at for a long time as a possibility that has now become our reality and that it's an inevitability that it's going to continue to just increase and to grow and to expand. I think that there are definite benefits to it and there are definitely definite things for us to have some concern about. And I'm just curious what, what you think. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that there's always with stuff like this, there's always extremes, right? And let me just say, I would love to hear your thoughts. I'd love for you to share your thoughts, share your comments, share your questions, share your opinions. You can uh, email me, duke at simplepowermedia.com. If you are watching this, then uh, the email address is flashing up on the screen there for you. And if uh, you're listening to this on one of the podcast platforms, you can uh, link to my email in the show notes or to my website and to be happy to engage with you there leave a comment on the facebook page or something like that and uh, just be awesome to hear your thoughts your comments your opinions on this subject because you know when i look at something like ai church and and we've had some conversations on this podcast uh last year about metaverse we talked about metaverse church in a couple of episodes we did one kind of deep dive in an episode uh, that i did with Josh Hogan camp. And we talked about metaverse church specifically. We talked about metaverse baptisms. You know, is it, is it legitimate to be baptized in the metaverse? If you don't know what metaverse church is, or if you're, you know, maybe unfamiliar with exactly what the metaverse is, you've probably heard the term, but if you're not super familiar with what that is, metaverse is like a virtual reality environment. So what you can do is you can go in, if you've ever played around with any kind of VR type stuff, I was really disappointed because I finally got a chance to do some VR stuff. And uh, I have gotten motion sick my entire life. I really have to be driving the car 
in order to not get motion sick. So if I sitting in the back seat is a nightmare and we used to have a, a station wagon when I was a kid. And so on, on the way to and from school, I went to Christian school. My mom taught at the school that I went to for a number of years. And so I didn't take a bus to school. My mom drove me and I would like sit in the back of the station wagon, which as you remember, it faced the opposite direction. So I'd be like riding to school and riding home uh, backwards. And I used to always get headaches and I never knew what it was. And it was actually, I was getting uh, motion sick. And so I, I've gotten motion sick my entire life. If I'm on like a rocky boat, if I'm, you know, whatever it might be, like I can very, very easily, if I'm doing any kind of spinning around, or even watching somebody spin around, I can get motion sick. I was really disappointed because I finally got a chance to play with some AI uh, a few months ago. <laughs> and I only lasted about five minutes because it just made me so just queasy trying to do this AI thing. And it was, it was fun. It was just a, a video game type of things. But anyway, that's the idea. So if you've ever played around with any kind of an AI, meaning you, not an AI, excuse me, a virtual reality, meaning that you're wearing some kind of goggles or some kind of a headset and you might be immersed in some kind of a video game type of an atmosphere or, you know, some kind of a simulation or something like that. The idea with metaverse is that you put on your, your goggles or your headset and then you go and you like join other people in an environment and it might be attending a concert online where you're just like sitting in your home, but it seems like you're there and you can interact with other people and other guests and stuff like that. Uh, I know people do virtual reality or metaverse like comedy shows and things of that nature. There is a fully functioning and, and uh, I'm probably very outdated on my information about this, but um, there are fully functioning things in the metaverse. Like you can purchase property in the metaverse. Um, you can uh, go to church in the metaverse, as I've already mentioned. You can go to a casino in the metaverse. You can actually be hired to have a job working in the metaverse, meaning that you go to work by putting on your goggles and you go and you function as a, as a host or guest relations or something like that in this metaverse world. And so it's a, it's becoming more and more of a real thing. And I don't know how far we're going to go with the metaverse, how much that's going to be infused into daily life for a while. It really felt like that's what was going to happen. And I'm just not so sure anymore. I think that the more we do this kind of stuff, the more that people, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I have kind of mixed feelings on, on this because I feel like we can really just kind of keep going, right? Keep going down the rabbit hole. But I do feel like for the majority of people, they're still going to want, you know, regular human interaction. They're going to want to be able to hug a friend like for real in real life. They're going to want to, uh, you know, actually get in their car and go places and things of that nature. So I don't know how far all of this stuff goes, but all of these things are connected. And so and and really the the AI component, when they start really, you know, figuring this stuff out right and and infusing these things together these emerging technologies together so that you know ai is optimizing the metaverse and vice versa and all this kind of stuff is happening things are going to i'm sorry that this is such a nerdy conversation right now if you're not into this i i apologize but i just wanted to know like what are your thoughts on this stuff because when i'm thinking about metaverse church and we're looking at um these avatars that are preaching that there's no real human emotional there's no soul in that 
I wonder like what this means and where this could go. Obviously, this stuff can go to some very, very dark places the more that we allow it to go there. And I just wonder because the, the nature of humanity, I think, is to just keep pushing the envelope and to keep pushing things further and further and further down the line. And, you know, we've all seen the movies or read the books or heard about the, the you know, these things that that have been, you know, predicted and all this kind of stuff about how eventually the machines take over and uh, <laughs> and, and try to destroy. Like the inevitable conclusion if any movie about artificial intelligence that you've ever seen the inevitable conclusion of every ai is always like it very quickly gets to the point of oh i'm supposed to make life better for humans oh humans seem to be uh hurting themselves they don't even know how to eat right they get in car accidents all the time they hurt other people they hurt themselves they break relationships off they do all these things humans are not good for each other so our solution is to destroy the humans and like that just kind of the inevitable conclusion of ai i'm not saying that i'm you know buying into this you know dystopian kind of a future and that's like where we're going i'm not saying that i'm just saying it's it's worth thinking about but when it comes to uh the the church's role and involvement in this kind of stuff i think that the church has um kind of in, in a lot of ways, I'm talking about the capital C church. I'm not talking about every individual church. I'm not talking about Christian or anything like that. I'm speaking very much in generalities, but it seems that um, we have made the mistake in recent history of hiding from things that are changing and shifting in the cultural you know ether uh, for example so when it comes to technology when it comes to technology and social media and things like that in a lot of ways i think that the 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 church um again just very much speaking in general terms here i think that in a lot of ways the church kind of held back thinking no a lot of this stuff that's going on is evil so you know, these kinds of things, whether we're talking about the internet, we're talking about social media, we're talking about the metaverse, we're talking about AI, all of these things can be used for evil, and they have been used for evil. But what we do, I think, or what we've done as the church in some instances is we've held back and we because we haven't wanted to you know give in to something that could be dark or become dark and then so we've held back and then we've looked at it and we've said oh you see all that darkness that exists there you see how bad that is you see how evil that is but jesus called finally mentioned the name jesus <laughs> it took me 22 23 minutes to get to uh to jesus in this podcast i don't know what that says about about this but anyway Jesus calls us the light of the world, and he calls us the salt of the earth. He calls us the light of the world. He didn't say that we're the light of the church. He said we're the light of the world. And he would go on and he would say a city on a hill cannot be hidden. The idea is that as the people of God as the church of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to be a city on a hill. Isaiah 60, one of my favorite passages of scripture, arise, shine, for your light has come, 
and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Behold, darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the peoples, but his glory will arise on you. I think I might be um, starting to mess this up. Let me turn to it, make sure I'm getting the right language here. Because I love how it goes on, and it's this prophetic picture where he starts to say, kings will come to the brightness of your rising. So getting into verse 2, behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord, the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you to your light and kings of your rising. Lift up your eyes all. Your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. It's just this like beautiful, and it really goes on. This is a beautiful prophetic picture of what happens when the people of God recognize the light of Christ. Arise, shine, your light has come. John chapter 1, I believe, is a parallel scripture to this written uh you know several hundreds of years later but a parallel scripture to this that talks about how jesus is the light that coming into the world gives light to all men and so i believe that this light from isaiah 60 is jesus that it's referring to the light of jesus or the light of god's glory coming upon the sons and the daughters of god jesus is the express image of the father and he came into this world to reveal the light of truth the light of the father to all men and he gives us light and so arise shine for your light has come and the glory of the lord is risen upon you darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the people but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. I mean, don't be surprised when darkness covers the earth. Don't be surprised when darkness covers areas of society and areas of life. I know that there was um, a few weeks back, there was like this big thing about like, you know, boycotting Target because they were, you know, putting certain kinds of T-shirts and clothing apparel and things up that were supporting an agenda that uh, <laughs> that the 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 church or the majority of the people in the church, you know, like we're not, we're not for that. We're opposed to that. But it's like this idea of like, Oh, we can't go to target anymore. And it's like, well, you know, I personally didn't ever, not that I go to target all the time anyway, but I never even personally considered just person as a personal conviction. I never personally considered, Oh, well, I'm never going to target again, or I'm going to stop going to target or whatever, because they're doing something They're They're putting out some kind of an opposing worldview or ideology it just doesn't surprise me because that's what the world does target is not a christian company right like that's what the world does and the more and more that we pull out that the more and more that the people of god pull out and we you know i mean jesus even talked about putting your light under a bushel or under a basket hide it under a bushel no i'm gonna let it shine if you don't if you've never been to sunday school forgive me because uh, anyway, but it's like, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. And I think there's just been this tendency in the the, the church with the people of God, just kind of historically to, to say like, oh, no, like we we can't go to the movies because bad movies are shown at the movies. And we can't, you know, it's like these things that we can't do and these rules and these regulations and these restrictions. I mean, I saw Jesus in John chapter two going to a party for a, a wedding party where people drank so much they ran out of wine 
And Jesus wasn't so scandalized that he left. He actually helped them get more wine. Now, I don't think that that explicitly says that Jesus was there drinking with them. I don't know whether he had wine or didn't have wine. I don't know. But he wasn't so scandalized. And, and look, and by the way, I'm sure he wasn't getting all plastered with the rest of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure of that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if he took a sip, had a glass. I, I, I don't know. Not, so I don't think that that's um, necessarily one way or another in an endorsement for or against, you know, drinking wine or whatever the case may be. All I'm saying is that, I mean, Jesus turned water into wine at a at a party where they had run through all the wine that they had. And it's like uh, most Christians would have said, uh, oh, no, we're, we can't make any more wine. I'm not going to be responsible for that. I'm not going to put my stamp on this. If I make more wine at this party, then that means I'm putting my stamp of approval on this. And this is evil practice. This is evil behavior. But Jesus, I, I think there was a lot going on in that story. John chapter two, it's, it's a really, really incredible story. It's the first miracle, public miracle that's recorded in Cana of Galilee, where Jesus turns water into wine because his mom asked him to do it. And his initial response was, no, his initial response was, this has nothing to do with me because my time has not yet come. In other words, I'm not ready to do some kind of a public miracle yet because as soon as Jesus started doing public miracles, the cat's out of the bag, right? Like, I, I mean, it was when he started doing these public miracles that the religious leaders started getting really up in arms. Like it's when he started to heal people on the Sabbath and he's starting to teach openly that these religious leaders are getting upset and now they're wanting to to crucify him. And so it's like, are we really going to expedite my going to the cross when I'm at a party and people don't have enough wine? And so his initial actual response is kind of like, um, what does this have to do with me? But then his mom tells the people at the uh, Mary, you know, she tells the, the, the servants at the party, uh, do whatever he tells you to do. And then Jesus actually decides to do the miracle. And so he calls for these big water pots to be filled with water and he turns water into wine. And the party gets to keep going. There's a lot going on there. I think I might even have a podcast on this. I'm not sure. Um, from I, I feel like I did a podcast on it, on it last year on that story, actually. But anyway, there was a lot going on there because it's like, he, I, I think that there was the relationships to consider. There was the reputation of the of the family that's putting on the party and running out of wine doesn't look good. And it's like this embarrassment kind of a thing. There's a lot going on there. But whatever was going on in that scenario between Jesus and his mother and between his mom and the relationships there and, you know, Jesus having compassion for the people, whatever was going on there, there was a value from the father placed on that situation enough for the father to move on the heart of the son for the son to then say, yeah, let's do this because Jesus, we just fast forward a few chapters to John chapter five. He makes a statement in, in verse 19 that he doesn't do anything outside of the authority of the father. He only does what he sees the father do. So he didn't do that miracle as some kind of a rogue assignment. That was the assignment of God for that moment that he was in. And so Anyway, I just think that's one example, but we, 
have a tendency historically as the people of God to kind of like pull back from things and hide from things. And like, I don't want to be in the midst of this thing that could go bad and it could turn evil and all this. And, and often it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think, because when we look back, it's like, oh, there's so much darkness, so much evil there. Well, yeah, because the light of the world didn't enter that area of society. And now look, I'm not saying that every time a new fad comes out that the church has to be all over it. I'm not saying that we have to I'm I'm not and I'm not saying on an individual level at all by any means because sometimes there are things that like you may have an individual conviction about that you want to you know not be a part of maybe you think it's going to affect you negatively or something like that and I am all for that so I'm not I'm not pointing fingers and I'm not doing anything like this I'm just saying I, I do th I just wonder here's here's what I'm wondering is like how much does the the church of Jesus Christ get involved in these kind of shifting landscapes of culture and society. And in this case, for the purposes of this conversation, technology. And so we've got AI church happening. I personally wouldn't have been interested in, in going there other than maybe just for, you know, anecdotal purposes, but like, uh, I wouldn't be interested in attending that kind of church. But, but I just, I wonder, you know, I guess I could kind of see this going in a way where, you know, for, for churchgoers that feel like they go to church so that they can just check off the box of having gone to church and they feel like that fulfills their requirements of their commitment before God to be a part of a church and like to be in right standing with God. It's like, I got to get this box checked off. I got to go to church once a week for an hour or two hours or whatever. And like, that's kind of where they put the stock of their salvation or just what makes them feel good or, you know, whatever it might be. I can kind of see where it's like, Oh, well, if we could just go to this, you know, thing here, then, you know, we can kind of fulfill this requirement and then nothing else is required of us. And I think that if we go too far down this road, we can really get to the point where we're starting to miss the point of what church is really all about in the first place. It's the fellowship of, well, when I say all about, I mean, a big aspect of what church is, it's the fellowship of the saints. I mean, you can enjoy the presence of God on your own any day of the week, every day of the week, any time of day without other people involved. But there's an important aspect, I think a an essential, a non-negotiable element of our faith and of our walk with the Lord that involves other people. You know, I, and I, th I think that, you know, in some cases, so, some people are not able to leave their house and, and you know, get that kind of personal face-to-face -face fellowship. And it's, un it's, un it's unfortunate, but that's the exception. That's not the rule. And I think that if we are able to be face to face with other believers and be in the same room and seek the Lord together and go after God together and have that corporate atmosphere of worship, like that's something that we can't be willing to give up. And I guess that's the thing that has kind of uh, concerned me about all that. I don't mean I'm sitting here like, you know, concerned every day of my life. Most days I don't even think about this stuff. <laughs> but when I think about it, I'm like, man, like I, 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 I do like feel like we, we need to protect. I mean, we saw this a lot during COVID was just kind of the comfortability of getting disconnected from people and from relationships. 
where, you know, after a while it was like, oh, you, you just don't hug people like you used to. And then it was kind of like, now it's like people that I used to just, I would always hug somebody when I saw them. Now it's kind of like you think there's like a hesitation because I wonder if they're back into the hugging thing or not. And that's definitely wearing off now at this point because we're in, you know, mid 2023. But I'm just saying like how this stuff can very easily just become more and more infiltrated into our daily life. And before we even realize it to an extent, we could be giving up things. We can be giving up elements of of, of our life that are very, very important and very, very essential. And they can little by little be eroded to where they become just a little by little by little less and less essential. And I just want to know, like, what are your thoughts? What should the role of the church be in this kind of stuff in, you know, particularly in this area? Like, what do you think about AI church? Like, what do you think about this? Do you think that it's valid? It's legitimate for, it, let, let's just even talk about this. Like, let's not even talk about going to a church that's fully powered by AI. Let's not even talk about that. What about, because in the same way that an artist can use chat GPT or some other, you know, module or software or whatever to create, you know, for, to have AI generate something for them in the same way that, you know, an artist can do that to create a piece of art or a student can do that to, um, you know, write a paper that's never been written before, right? So it's a unique paper, but it could be generated in seconds. Teachers can use it to grade papers so that there's, you know, less on their plate in terms of uh, having to grade papers after school or whatever the case may be. Like there's different applications for this, some good, some bad. But in the same way, a pastor can now or a preacher, you know, can go on and say, um, I need a sermon on unity and I need it to be, you know, this many minutes long. I need it to be with this inflection um, or, or from, you know, this tone of voice. I mean, you could even go in and say, I want a sermon on uh, why women and this is not something I would do. It's actually the second part of this podcast, if I ever get to it, a sermon on why women shouldn't preach in church in the voice of, and you can pick a, a, a preacher. You know, you can say, so, uh, let me not use that one because I don't want it to feel like I'm pointing fingers at anybody. Uh, let's let's go with, um, I, I need a sermon on Jesus turning water into wine and I need it, uh, I want it in the voice of, Louis Giglio or in the voice of Joel Osteen or whatever. And so this um, chat AI bot will create a sermon that can come off in the feel that that preacher would deliver that message. And right now it's not going to be perfect. There's flaws in the system, but very easy for a pastor, you know, to, or a preacher to go in and, and read through that thing and say, okay, I wouldn't say this, let's change this, let's change that. It could be a shortcut tool, but it could also be a tool that kind of like takes out that personal journey of discovery with God that a lot of preachers, as they're pre preparing a message or a sermon, like some time studying or they're spending some time seeking the Lord of what something is to be about. Now it's like I can have a totally unique sermon generated by a bot for me in a matter of minutes and just do my thing. 
And at that point, I think even though that person is still going to deliver that message, is that kind of taking the heart and the soul out of what it actually means to speak the word of God? Because it's no longer being created by a human vessel. What do you think about this? Like, do you think that this matters? Because to me, in my mind, like, like I, I feel it in my heart. To me, it matters. Like, to for for me to take a message and to deliver it to a group of people that are there to hear from God, and what I'm doing is I'm delivering them a message that came from something that has no connection to God whatsoever, but. It has all of this data and all this information from all of these other people on the planet that are connected to God. So it's able to pull this message together and, you know, kind of spit something out that's that's usable and passable as a good sermon. And then I just deliver it. And it's like, well, am, am I cutting it? If I do that, am I cutting out an important piece of the puzzle? Am I cutting out an essential piece of the puzzle, which is me actually receiving revelation from God on a particular concept or or topic or subject and then delivering that to the people understanding that the people are not there hopefully they're not there to hear from me they're, they're not there to to just get like my regurgitation of of god's word but i do think that that human element of us being in connection with god through the holy spirit illuminating things to us in the word of god I think that that is an important piece of the puzzle that I, for one, do not want to give up. When I could just go and put a few, you know, type a few buttons or, you know, hit a few keys and generate something that came from something that's ultimately soulless and doesn't have a connection to God. What do you think? What do you guys think? You know, what do you guys think about this? I would love, love, love uh, to hear from you. So, Anyway, I just wanted to kind of chime in on something. I talked about that way longer than I thought that I would. I apologize if that was rambling. Uh, but uh, yeah, first AI church service that I'm aware of took place recently, um, which stands to reason that it's going to keep happening, I would think. And so what do you guys think about this kind of stuff? What is the role of the church um, in technology, what is the role of the church when it comes to these emerging technologies? Uh, do we get involved? Do we back off? You know, again, I think that there's a, a, a ground there that we're supposed to stand on. My opinion, it's not hide from it. Um, but it's also like, let's not go so far down the rabbit hole that we lose who we are, that we lose our identity as the people of God in the process. Um, so, yeah, but I would, I'm just curious to see what you guys think. The other thing, <laughs> should I even do this? All right, guys, I'm going to have to do this very, very quick. And I'll, this is the one that I thought the second half of this is what I thought was going to be longer. Yeah. All right. So the other thing that happened this past week that you, um, there's a actually a better chance that you're more aware of this one than you were of the first thing that I said. And it comes down to women um, in ministry or women at being pastors in the church because the Southern Baptist Convention, um, which is the, my understanding, the largest Protestant denomination in the United States, that uh, this, so the Southern Baptists, they recently, this past week, they made the decision or they finalized the decision. It was already on the table for debate, but they finalized their decision to expel a couple of churches from the convention, so from the denomination. 
Um, now, one of those two churches uh, was, I think actually, did I write the, the name down of the other church? I think I did. Uh, Fern Creek Church. I'm not sure where that church is located. Um, and the reason that that church was expelled is because that church has a female lead pastor. The second church that was expelled is a church that you are more than likely familiar with, a church called Saddleback Church, um, formerly pastored by Rick Warren, the author of Purpose Driven Life. And um, he was not currently the pastor of that church, um, but uh, after he left, this is my understanding anyway, that after he left, he had um, installed a, a husband and wife as a pastoral team to lead that church. And so both of these churches were kicked out of the convention because they had women in lead pastoral positions. And so now the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, is now uh, cracking down uh, on this. And basically they're, they've made a decision to uphold this going forward. And so more than likely there's going to be other churches on the chopping block coming up within the next year or so that uh, are, you know, maybe going to be removed from the congregate from the denomination, excuse me, as well as they, you know, evaluate the practices and things like that, that are going on with women in leadership, particularly in pastoral roles. And so I'm really curious to hear what you guys think about this. Let me tell you my opinion, my perspective on this is I am completely 100% opposed to this type of thing. I am 100% affirm women in ministry. Um, I believe that when Paul writes in Ephesians that there is neither male nor female, you know, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, all of that, that we have um, become one in Christ Jesus. I, I just, I don't think that we have these distinctions that uh, there are, and there are several denominations that hold to these standards that these are, this is what a man should do. This is what a woman should do. Now, let me, let me say that when it comes to the roles in the church, there are a couple of problematic passages of scripture that uh, I'm going to read for you in just a minute, just so that we're being fair here. And I do agree that there that these passages of scripture are somewhat problematic or at least they they may they should you know make us make us think make us dig deeper on these things and so on one hand i i understand that a a church or a denomination that has the value that only men should be in pastoral, you know, governmental leadership type positions in a church. I understand that their reasoning behind that is coming from a place of wanting to hold to what they believe is a fundamental teaching from scripture. And so I don't believe that in every <laughs> there, I'm sure there are some cases I don't believe in the majority of cases that people are doing this because they want to be cruel or mean to women. Um, I do know that the Southern Baptist Convention, um, they consider themselves to be complementarian 
and it's like this this uh, you know fancy word that basically means they believe that men and women are 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 equal in terms of you know their equality as as people and people before God but when it comes to the leadership positions in the church that the you know that only men are supposed to serve in certain areas so that men and women have different and distinct areas of service in the church and so that's what that's what they believe and and I understand that they that their belief is being backed up by certain passages of scripture. Now, there in particular, there are really four passages of scripture that are kind of the ones that are regularly quoted, regularly cited when it comes to uh, this kind of thing. This argument of should women be permitted to speak in church? Should women be permitted to teach in church? Should a woman be permitted to teach a man? Should a woman be permitted to prophesy? Or should a woman be permitted to prophesy to a man? And this kind of thing. Should a woman have any kind of authority in a church setting over a man? And and so there's these questions that come out, and they arise from a few particular passages of scripture, passages that you are probably familiar with. But let me let so so let me um. Let me just do this. All right. So first Corinthians, we'll start here and we'll go with chapter 14. We'll do this first. First Corinthians chapter 14. And uh, let me read verses 35, 34 and 35. It says, let your women keep silent in the churches. I'm reading from New King James, by the way. This this sounds a lot nicer when you read it from the Passion Translation. So I'm, 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 I'm a big fan of the passion, but it says, let your women keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak for they are to be submissive as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Now that sounds very definitive. It sounds very, uh, strong, very, very, I would even use the, the, the terminology harsh, right? Let's look at another one. First Timothy chapter two. Verses 11, uh, let's see, where do I want to start? Yeah, let me start in verse, you know what? Let me back up. Let me start from verse 8. No, let me start in verse 9. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And um, yeah, I'll just stop right there. So, I mean, look, that sounds pretty rough. When I just stated a minute ago that I believe that women should have authority to teach in church, to be in pastoral roles, I believe that. And look, just so you know, my perspective here, um, I'm in ministry with my wife. My wife is a pastor in our church. My wife is an ordained minister um, in in our church. Um, I w- we had a situation years ago where we actually had uh, our church was split because somebody got offended um, because my wife uh, preached a message on a Sunday morning, and this guy got very offended because um, he came from a more I'll, I don't even want to use the word conservative, but a particular kind of a background for a church background where he didn't believe in that. He didn't believe that a woman should be able to teach a man. So um, he got very, very offended and disappeared and took a whole bunch of people with him because he felt like we were 
breaking the law. We were doing something that was not uh, permissible in church. And so that was painful. Um, it was painful for, for my wife because um, we had a relationship with this guy. Um, he had actually helped us to bring several people into the church. We, he was a local business owner, and um, he just he, a lot of his em employees were coming to church. It was just like a lot going on. It, it was it was painful. It was painful for me to lose, you know, a bunch of those friendships and stuff like that because all of a sudden people thought we were doing something that was ungodly. And it was very painful for my wife because she was the catalyst for all of that. And she knew that she wasn't doing anything wrong by preaching in the church, but the way that it was perceived and the way that it came off and the way that it made her feel um, was, was hurtful. So we've had that experience in the past, but you know, when I read these verses, see, the, the 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 problem with taking a verse or even in this context two verses two passages of scripture and taking these passages and creating a a doctrine off of them is that we have to understand the context we have to understand the audience that Paul was speaking to and look there's some things that we just do not understand because we weren't there but we have to remember so with Timothy and with the Corinthians so so just so you know, first and second Timothy, these are letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, who was leading this church in Ephesus. And so Paul writes these letters to Timothy, helping him to have a better understanding for how to deal with some issues and challenges and some conflicts that were going on in his church. In the Corinthians, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And there were many issues going on in the Corinthian church. They had all kinds of, I mean, that was a, that was a dysfunctional church, but they had all kinds of stuff going on there. And Paul is speaking into particular issues. Now, Paul doesn't bring this up when he writes to the Galatians. He doesn't bring this up when he writes um, to the Ephesians. He doesn't bring this up when he writes to the Thessalonians. He doesn't tell these other churches by the way, make sure you don't have any women in teaching or authority positions in churches. Make sure you don't have any women pastors. But what we do see is we do see the same author. We see Paul in other parts of the New Testament where he's affirming women in leadership and in ministry roles. And we'll look at those in a minute. But I, I do think that it's significant that we, so that first passage that we've read, which again, I mean, it sounds rough. It sounds harsh, to be honest with you. And I probably shouldn't say this because I know it's sacrilegious and I love the whole Bible. I believe in the whole Bible. It's one passage that I kind of just wish wasn't in there. But it's in there. And so I have to accept that it is the word of God. And I do. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying that we've got to recognize that there's context. And I think a lot of times what we do is we take things out of context. We take them out of the cultural context. And we don't fully understand what the meaning is. I've heard many theologians say, and I do not consider myself a theologian, but I've heard several theologians say that it would have been... Um, very much understood by the audience of this day what Paul was referring to, that he was referring to a specific um, instance, series of incidents or whatever that had that was going on in that particular church setting. And he was addressing it, which is why we don't see it um, in other places. Now, I recognize that that's not I'm going to be honest, I don't that's not necessarily the most um, 
uh, definitive or strong argument in the world. So I just want to be fair in the language that I'm using here. But when we go back, so we read 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let me refresh your memory. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. Pretty rough, right? But if we just go back like a few chapters to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's this passage about head coverings. <laughs> and it's what a man should wear on his head or not wear on his head, what a woman should wear on her head or not wear on her head. It's like all this kind of stuff about head coverings. And then it gets into the covering of of man, um, of, of uh, man being the covering of his wife and all this kind of stuff. But here's, here's what I want to point out. Starting at verse 3, it says, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, listen to this, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Now, it's pretty clear that we're talking about men praying and prophesying in public corporate church gathering type settings, not just a man on his own in his house. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. And what we tend to do is we look at that and we and we start talking about like head coverings for women. And we start talk about, you know, men, you got to take your hats off in church. This was a cultural thing that was going on in the day. By the way, the other thing that I didn't put out from this from this other passage that we that we read in First Corinthians chapter 14, the reason why I read those first notes, I'm sorry. Um Sorry, it was in the Timothy passage. The reason why I read a few verses into it before it got into, you know, the part about women keeping silent in the church is that it's talking about uh, how women, you know, shouldn't wear certain things. They shouldn't have braids in their hair and they and they and they shouldn't wear expensive clothing and these things like that. Clearly that's cultural because the, the same denominations that say that women shouldn't be pastors or in leadership positions in, in churches, they don't have any problem with those same women coming to church in braids in their hair or wearing expensive clothing. And it's in the same breath. It's, it's, it's in the same context. And that's why I really, really think that Paul here was addressing some specific cultural things that would have been very much known and understood to the people that he was speaking to in that day. And so if we're going to accept that verse at face value and say women should be silent in churches and we've got to like maintain that standard for today, then we've also got to say, all right, ladies, get those braids out of your hair, you know, get the, get some Levi's, you know, leave your Abercrombie jeans at home or, you know, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like we've, we've got to, We've got to accept all of it as not just something that was cultural for that for the group of people that he was speaking to that day, but as um, what was the word that he's before? But anyway, you get what I'm saying, right? All right, I gotta I gotta wrap this up. So, where am I supposed to be right now? First Corinthians chapter eleven. So we just read these verses about head coverings, right? We always focus on the head coverings, but it uses the same language talking about men praying and prophesying. And then it says for every woman who prays or prophesies. Now, not once in this passage did Paul say, by the way, your women shouldn't be praying or prophesying. By the way, this is wrong, but if you're, he doesn't do that. He recognizes the fact that there are men praying and prophesying in the church. And there were also women praying and prophesying 
in the church. And so in this case here, Paul is is not um, condemning women for uh, taking that position of, of, of authority or ministry or service in the church to speak prophetically and to prophesy. Um, let's let's jump over to Romans chapter seven, and I did I said Romans chapter seven. This is not Romans chapter seven. Um, I meant to say Romans chapter sixteen. I think it's verse seven is why I did that. Verse seven is uh, is where I want to end. But so Paul is is here talking uh, Romans chapter sixteen verse 1, and, and he goes through this list of names, and many of them are women, and he says, I commend to you Phoebe, obviously a woman, our sister, who is a servant of the church of Centria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. They were a husband and wife, Priscilla the wife, Aquila the husband, People say that it's significant that Priscilla is mentioned before Aquila, which seems to be a little bit backwards. Usually the man would be mentioned first. And so they believe that that uh, indicates uh, that Paul is basically, you know, doing that out of respect because Priscilla had the higher leadership role in the church. I don't know whether that's true or not. It doesn't really matter. The point is, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. And so he's recognizing that Priscilla and Aquila, they have a church in their house. Greet my beloved, that's a name I don't want to have to read. Greet Mary who labored much for us. Greet, verse 7, Andronicus and Junia. This is a controversial verse right here. Greet Andronicus and Junia. For a long time, there was a uh, campaign that that said that Junia was actually mistranslated and it was supposed to be Junio. Um, and I have heard from some reliable sources that I trust that are much better theologians than I am um, that uh, ha have said that the, that Junia is in fact the correct translation, meaning that this is a woman. Me, Andronicus and Junia. And uh, really for, I mean, if you go back to early church history, um, for a very, very long time, it was widely accepted that Andronicus and Junia were husband and wife. So it says, meet Andronicus and Junia, my, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. And so it seems very much right there that Paul is actually recognizing Junia as an apostle. So do with that what you want. I'm not telling you what to think or what to believe or anything like that, but it seems to me very much that Paul spent uh, more time affirming women in leadership and ministry positions than uh, he did talking about why they shouldn't be speaking publicly over men or having authority in a church service or something of that nature. You know, Paul's not the only one. I mean, we, we see just so much value on the lives of women um, in in the life of Jesus and his interactions with them, um, women being the, the first people that saw um, Jesus after his resurrection, the women going to try to tell the men, I've seen the Lord and he's risen and them not believing the women and like all this stuff. And there's so much value 
from God, from the heart of God, placed on women. And whether you believe, uh, again, believe believe what you want. I, I, again, like I, I I recognize that there are a couple of these passages of scripture that are a little bit problematic, and I'm not going to deny that. Um, but when we look at the whole of Paul's ministry and who he affirmed and how he spoke in general to the different churches, I think that it is pretty abundantly clear that there was no overall for all of eternity issue for women to be in pastoral roles, to be in leadership roles, to be teachers in church services, to be teachers in, you know, churches and church settings and all this kind of stuff. You know, a lot of times what we do to be safe is like we relegate women to just teach over like other women in women's ministry. And we kind of like feel like that's that's kind of okay. I just don't think any of that stuff is necessary. Um, in Christ, there male nor female is not supposed to be this dividing line of separation. Now, I'm not suggesting that men and women are the same because there's a big agenda <laughs> to try to make it look like today in society that men and women are the same. And that's why men can participate in women's sports and, you know, gender can be fluid and all this kind of stuff. I'm not I'm not saying that. And I know that that's not what Paul was saying when he wrote those words. But it's like these division, these dividing lines that separate us and cause more division than they do help us and bring us together. I just think that when we do that, our focus is in the wrong place. I mean, people are dying and going to hell. And we're going to sit here and argue about whether or not we should be complementarian or egalitarian or, you know, like these these things in the church. And it's it, it, it's just um, interesting to me. You know, I do think that in these instances that we've referenced here where Paul is speaking um, into these situations, it does to me, and I'd like to know what your thoughts are on this as well, if you agree, disagree, or, you know, if you have some other, you know, information to add here that I might be overlooking or something like that, please uh, reach out to me on social media or by email or whatever the case may be. And let me know, because I would love to engage with you and have some further dialogue and conversation about this. I just kind of wanted to, this was something that was fresh. It was in the news. It was something that came up. This comes up, of course, from time to time in the church world, but this was like something that was fresh this week with a very prominent church, Saddleback Church. I mean, a, that's a very large mega church, one of the most well-known churches in the country, um, and just like expelled from the SBC in this decision. And it was like, wow, that, 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 um, it was just interesting to me to see that at first it surprised me, but then I was like, I guess it doesn't really surprise me all that much, but it's just like, what are our, what are our priorities? You know, what are we spending our time? What, what hills are we dying on? What are we fighting for? And I, I, I think that this is an example, and I, I don't want to be like condemning, and I, I don't want to come off, that's not my heart here, but I, I think that this is an example of like promoting, demonstrating that, you know, our traditions and things like this are more important than what we're actually demonstrating um, to the world around us. And, and I'm not saying that we sacrifice the, the truth of what God's word says for, you know, the sake of like be coming off to the world as loving and all this kind of stuff. But I, I do think that we need to be careful about the, the, what we're showing to the world, because ultimately 
it's not about our image as the church or as a denomination. It's it's not about that. It's not about just perception, but it is about how we're representing the heart of God to people. That is all of it. That's that's everything to me. It's like how are we demonstrating? How are we representing God to the world? Because that is our role and that is our assignment. And that is a hill that I'm willing to die on to represent, to represent God the Father well. And when we look through scripture, particularly through the New Testament, and we see how much love and how much respect and how much admiration and how much uh, just how much of the heart of God is toward women is toward his sons and his daughters in acts chapter two when the spirit of god is poured out we have this prophecy from uh, joel chapter two about the spirit of god being poured out on his sons and his daughters on his men servants and on his maid servants it, like these dividing lines that we put in places and, and, and when, if we try to say that that women do not have this should not have the same authority you know there's been all these arguments well it's because they're more emotional than men it's because of this and, because, and it's like shut up i mean for real for for real sorry to rant at the end here i'm just trying to get it all out before i before i crash this plane and, and wrap it up but it's like I just really think that when we do stuff like this, we are missing the point. That's my opinion. It's just an opinion. I know an opinion is like, you know, I mean, it's just an opinion. So I get it. But that's what I think. I'd love to know what you think. Um, and uh, if you have any uh, questions, comments, concerns, if you're ready to, you know, kick me out of your out of the church or something like that, just let me know. I'm down to talk about it, but I do love you guys very, very much. Um, I affirm women in ministry <laughs> in case I didn't make that clear enough. I do. I affirm women in ministry. I affirm men in, in, in ministry. I believe that God calls both. He calls men. He calls women. I mean, for us to say that only men can teach in the church, I mean, we're like alienating half of the population. Like We're just saying that half of the people, <laughs> like half of the people in the world um, are just they they can't they can't do that they can't have those kinds of ministry roles and again if the bible like if there was scripture that specifically said like if it was very very definitive and and we didn't you know it didn't come across like it was like some kind of a cultural thing that was like tied to the way the customs of the people and things of that like for that day like if there was like a definitive thing i would be all over it like i'd be all i mean i might not like it but i would i would promote it i would teach it I really would. I promise you I would. But um, I just don't, I, I honestly don't believe that that's what we see in these passages of scripture, that this is like something, um, some kind of a blanket thing that Paul was putting out there to say, this is the role of women in the church. They need to be silent. They need to wait till they get home to ask their husband questions. Look, I mean, even just like culturally speaking, I mean, this is something that uh, I, I heard years ago. And so it's possible that new information has come out and I just haven't gone back to like re-corroborate this. But like my understanding is that men and women used to sit on opposite sides in church services. And so like part of it is like for a woman to be asking her husband, hey, what's going on? What did he mean by that point? Like that's disruptive. I think a lot of times what we see and we see it particularly in the Corinth, the letters to the Corinthians, because again, they had a lot going on in Corinth. A lot of the instruction of Paul was setting things in order 
in the churches that were out of order, things that were causing confusion, that were causing new people to come in and be confused and not know what was going on, things that were causing people to not be able to get the full you know, weight of what was being taught and presented and all this kind of stuff. Like a lot of Paul's writing and teaching is aimed at putting things in order and correcting certain things. And a lot of it, a lot of it was cultural. I'm not saying that because it was cultural back then, it doesn't have any relevance for us today. I'm just saying that it, the lens through which we view scripture is very, very important. And the overall context as we view scripture is very, very important. And I think we see Paul giving enough context for women in ministry, for having friendships with women that were in leadership positions. And uh, and again, I just think we we see enough of that to, to conclude that the couple of troubling passages here, and again, I agree that they're troubling, I think we see enough information from Paul throughout Scripture and throughout the New Testament in general to conclude that there must have been something cultural going on that he was speaking into there. That's my opinion. Um, I, I love you guys very, very much. I appreciate you so much for joining me. Please don't forget to subscribe or to uh, leave a comment or a review on one of the podcast platforms or on the Facebook page, YouTube channel, wherever it is that you're listening to and or watching this podcast. I appreciate you guys so very much. And uh, yeah, I'll uh, see you next time. Take care.